and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Hi again. Rena Esther in Maryland, recovering sexaholic. And um, I am very grateful to Rena for having organized this uh, speaker meeting. And um, I appreciate all of you being here, uh, my brothers and sisters in recovery. Um, I'm going to try my best to share my experience, strength, and hope, but I know it's not possible without my higher power. Um, So feel free to um, join me uh, muted on your line um, as I say the step three prayer um, because I, I I can't do this without God. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self so that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. Um, So I think my story um, might be different in some senses than other people's, but as you all know from hearing other people share their experiences, uh, there's all the underlying uh, similarities that help us all feel connected and that we're all here for the same reason, uh, that we need a higher power because we're powerless over lust. Um, when I was born, I feel like I must have been born this way, um, just because of so many factors in my childhood. And, um, I always had the God hole. Um, I've been attached to many things throughout my life, starting when, uh, with my security blanket when I was, um, very young and, um, I just needed that for security and to be able to go to sleep. And I almost felt like my blanket had like magical powers that she protected me. And, um, until I was 16 years old, um, I was extremely attached to my security blanket, which is a little bit embarrassing, but it just makes a lot of sense as an addict, um, that I, I felt I needed that. And it was only really when I was in full out acting out that I, just kind of realized like it wasn't doing it for me and the acting out wasn't doing it for me. And that's kind of when, um, I left that, but, um, yeah, I was always living in my head, always fantasizing. My favorite toy was Barbies because I could be in charge and manipulate every single situation that they were in. And I was also attached to food. Food, um, is, I guess I could say my co-addiction, although I'm not part of any sort of program, and thank God 
I went to an eating disorder therapist person and God himself just was involved with uh, relieving me of that. But I would, I would eat and binge um, starting around the age of maybe 10 or so. And at the same time, I developed very quickly, which was quite scary for me to just be a kid and then suddenly be like more developed than your own mother. Um, so that was terrifying for me, the fact that I had a increasingly um, ever-growing appetite and that my body was just growing out of proportion to what I was used to. Um, and I went to an all-girls um, school and um, I continued to do so. But um, I was always comparing myself to the other girls and that's when it started really just getting very hard for me when I would see um, a lot of girls who were not developed and I would be very jealous of them. Um, and I would associate their not being developed and their just useful beauty with um, happiness and success and things like that. Um, when I switched to a different school, which was like about an hour away from where I lived, and I started commuting every day, this added a lot of stress to my schedule and um, the eating increased. Um, habits like uh, watching videos and um, going on the internet increased a lot for me. Um, I grew up in a I grew up in a religious household. Um, I'm Jewish by my faith tradition, and um, you know my parents didn't grow up as as religious as I was, so they just kind of um, they wanted to keep me sheltered, but it wasn't as um, maybe much as other kids around me. So I kind of felt um, I felt kind of not limited as much as maybe I would have liked. They didn't really see what I was watching or um, pay attention to that. And so my eating just started spiraling out of control, and I would just escape when I got home from school. Um, I gained, I was basically um, almost pre-diabetic by the time I was in eighth grade. Um, and this affected me tremendously socially. I had tremendous social anxiety. I just felt so different from everybody else. And I know it's not just because of how I looked. I just felt differently. Um, I thought I was holier than everybody else. I thought I was way more spiritual um, and connected when, in fact, I know now that that was not the case. But I always, I, I did sense God and I did, God was there before. Um, when I was in sixth grade, I would go out by recess time and I was just not athletic. Like I wasn't able to um, interact with my peers in the way that was normal. I just, I didn't, I was very codependent. Um, and so like when somebody would play with somebody else, I would just totally reject that person. Um, but I would go out into the fields and I would um, sing with God and I would write in my journal. And that's one, one aspect of the providence that I see um, God preparing me for recovery was this aspect of me already journaling by the time I was in fifth and sixth grade. And so um, when I started needing to, to do my uh, 11th step and do my nightly reflections, um, that was a habit that I had ingrained. And I still struggle with it because it's, it's just not easy to face myself at the end of the day and face the things I did wrong and the things I did right. 
but I do see God preparing me because I know without that um, skill honed, I would not be able to do that um, with as much success as I've been able to. So uh, fast forwarding to when I was 13 and I discovered um, a, like a, a hole in, in my iPod type of thing where I, a loop where I could get into the internet and I would stay up um, hours and hours watching YouTube videos. Um, and I didn't even really know what I was looking for. Uh, we didn't talk about sex in my house. Um, I basically had to give myself the talk through internet searches and the dictionary and other things like that. But I just, I knew that watching certain things made me feel a certain way. And so um, it just made me feel not so alone. Um, and so I would look for those kinds of things. But I didn't know the word porn, so I never really got into that. Um, but I would hide it from my parents. You know, they would open the door and put something in my room, and I would hide it under the pillow. And that started the whole cycle of me hiding my double life and my shame. Um, my mother got pregnant with my sister and I thought, I, I sensed that she was a girl and I, I only had brothers since then. So this was like the miracle I had always prayed to God about. Um, and I thought that everything would be better. Once I would have a sister, I would have friends. Once I would have a sister, it doesn't matter that I'm extremely overweight and I hate my body and I hate my life. You know, my sister's going to fix everything. Uh, but that wasn't the case. And I'm not sure exactly my timeline. I either discovered masturbation by accident before she was born or after. I think it might have been uh, when she was only a few months old. I was in school and I discovered masturbation by accident. And I know I'm an addict because um, like the second time I did it or the first time, I just, I had this deep, warning bell go off in my head where I felt like if you do this you're not going to be able to have children I just felt it was inherently a bad thing to do I felt a lot of shame and I still couldn't stop despite the fact that I thought I was like um, mutilating my body and um, that I wasn't going to be able to have children which is something very important to me um, and in my value system but I still wasn't able to stop and that scared me. Um, my body scared me. And um, I just felt like a freak. Like I really felt just totally, um, I was disgusted by myself. So eventually those two got linked together, the looking at certain things on the internet and um, eventually just got out of control. I would spend hours like searching my house for any type of book with any type of triggering word, the dictionaries, um, my mom's, you know, books that she got out from the library on parenting or anything. Um, so for me, uh, lust can be found anywhere. So it's not really so much about, okay, like, you know, not going here, not going there. It's more about attitude. I can look at a, a, a dictionary through a lust lens and use that to act out and masturbate. So um, that's just something that I've recognized for myself. Uh, when I was, I'm trying to put this together in a timeline here, I, I was continuously getting more and more depressed in and out of therapy since eight years old. Um, I was just like a crazy kid, really 
just disgusting to my parents, um, not able to express myself well, tantrums probably until I was in middle school and I discovered masturbation, so I didn't need to do the tantruming anymore. But um, I was always scared by my inability to control my character defects. Um, and even to this day, but now I have, I have the, the real solution, but I'm not perfect at it. Um, and I want to make that clear that although I'll be a year sober February 6th, um, I am not, I'm not perfect at this. And um, I struggle. I struggle a lot. And I, I still feel the pain and I still feel the desire to act out a lot. Uh, but it's, it's different because I know what I need to do versus before I just, I didn't know what else to do except to act out. Um, now I know that I need to put in effort and I need to ask God for willingness, but I know there's an answer. Um, so throughout this whole time, I never really interacted with guys before. Um, I watched my brother's friends from afar obsessively. And um, my girls' school was like, we shared a school with the boys, um, but they were separate from us. Uh, but I would, I would just be obsessed and romantically um, fantasizing about guys. Um, I really 100% thought I was going to marry one of my brother's friends. And until my acting out progressed to the point where I was talking to guys online, um, I was totally under the impression that that's what would happen. Um, so as my depression got worse and my eating got worse, and I actually was fluctuating between overeating and undereating at this point. Um, I wasn't eating in school. I would come home weak and tired. Um, I was feeling very suicidal. And um, my therapist, this was in like 11th grade, my therapist just suddenly disappeared on me. Like we were, you know, one, one month I was going to her and then the next month she was just not available. And I was in a really, really dark place. Um, I had kept trying to kick my habit of masturbation and I just wasn't able to. Um, I was angry at my father. Um, I thought he was a narcissist and I was trying to get out of my house. And the one thing that was just running through my head and I was telling my parents and I was telling my brother um, who was in Israel at the time is I don't feel God here. Um, I don't feel God in this house. So I was trying, trying to run away from that, but in truth, it was me. Um, I was blocking myself off from God. I was, I was ruining all my relationships. Um, that's something that has been really profound in my recovery is realizing that I'm the wall. Um, God never put up the wall. I, I built it. And if I ever sense a wall in my relationships, it's me. So, yeah, um, I'm just going to respect the time here. I just see where to bring it to. Um, so when I, the, the beginning of the end of my addiction, um, because I would have been able to find recovery just doing what I was doing then because it was too manageable. Um, although my life was extremely unmanageable and I, I had no friends, I had no relationships, um, the dysfunction was definitely there, but it wasn't enough for me to get scared and um, for God to be able to lead me to recovery. So I, I had gotten a laptop at 16 and I was terrified. I told my dad, um, my great aunt had offered to get it for me and I was like, I don't need this. I don't want this. I can just use the family computer. 
because I was desperate for a reason to not be able to just have the freedom of just using the computer whenever I want in my room, privacy. Um, so yeah, when my therapist disappeared, I had like written something for my school play and um, I had written like the school, like a lot of the school play and on the day of the school play, um, my front tooth fell out because when I was a kid, I jumped off the counter um, because I was just that crazy ADHD child and my front tooth chipped. So I couldn't go to this play that I had written. Um, I couldn't watch it um, come together. And I was super depressed and suicidal. And I just remember sitting on the floor on my laptop, uh, looking up a suicide chat to talk to somebody, just anybody. I just needed to talk to somebody. Um, and I was waiting in, in line, so to speak, on this like suicide chat. And I went back to the search results. And there was a um, a link to another website, um, a different type of chat website. And I went there and yeah, it just all went, it all went down from there because um, once I discovered that, yes, there are people online who would love to talk to a teenage girl who's super depressed, um, that just made everything um, better and worse. So there's an aspect of my addiction that I'm grateful for, and that is, um, I, I don't know if this is true, but I definitely felt like I was going to kill myself if I didn't find some sort of relief at that point. And we all know that, I mean, I'll speak for myself, but my addiction was a solution. So when I found um, online chat rooms, video chat rooms, um, online social media platforms, and I discovered um, men because I had been sheltered from that all my life. Um, I discovered a bunch of things. Um, number one, that um, I wasn't this freak that I thought I was. I mean, I am crazy, but um, I wasn't totally unlikable. There were parts of me that people appreciated, although they were trying to get me to take off my shirt. But um, besides for that, I I didn't believe it until it kept on happening over and over where like the first interactions were was just socializing. People actually liked me and um, I thought that I was just a total waste of space. So that aspect really saved my life um, because I thought maybe I'm, I'm worth something. Um, the second thing, I'm not sure what I had in mind when I said two things. But the second thing, oh, um, yeah, I met this guy, Joseph. So Joseph was my online boyfriend. And um, the reason I got into a relationship with him was it was his idea to help save me from acting out with people online um, because I couldn't stop. And it was crazy. I was not going to school um, a lot of days. I was just really weak. Um, I had starved myself to the point where I lost my period um, and a tremendous amount of weight. So I was not really eating so much and I was really weak and suffering. And yet I found the energy to spend hours and hours staying up all night, acting out with people online. So I, I felt very out of control. And here's this guy offering me to, to be my online boyfriend. And um, 
and then that will save me. Of course, it didn't, and I still acted out with other people while we were, so to speak, together. But what Joseph taught me was that um, he taught me what real love is. And real love, meaning after the codependency, um, after all that, and after I had not talked to him, um, stopped talking to him, it's, it's been over a year now, um, I realized that love is not trying to change somebody. Love is respecting somebody. And my whole relationship with Joseph was like, I'm going to make this person convert to be Jewish and I'm going to marry him um, because of my faith tradition. That's, that's the value system I live by. Um, and I never loved him for who he was. I never loved him as just Joseph, um, not the Jewish person. Um, and he's fine the way he is. And now I've learned that. So those were two really important things um, that I got from it. And the third most valuable thing was my bottom. My bottom was um, acting out with somebody that I couldn't even see um, after my twin brother's bar mitzvah. And I was so disgusted. I got no pleasure out of it. Um, I was terrified um, through a lot of these interactions. And I didn't want to do it anymore. I was just done. I was done, and um, yeah, it progressed to the point towards the end, the last few times I acted out online where I would take a hair, hairbrush and bruise myself all over my body until um, I had um, giant bruises all over, um, and I just, I couldn't take the pain, um, but I, I love like the, the big book um, analogy that talks about our addiction is like taking a hammer I'm not sure if it's talking about our addiction, but it's like taking a hammer for a headache and like banging your head with a hammer and saying like, oh yeah, that'll make it feel better. And that was my um, addiction. I would act out and I would feel much worse than before. So I'll just talk about a little bit what it's like now. Um, it was very scary for me to come into SA um, as the, as one of the, probably one of the youngest people in SA. Um, I was two months um, after turning 18. And um, that was a little bit intimidating, um, but I was more scared by what would happen if I didn't get sober. Um, thank God I was able to hit my bottom without actually physically acting out in person with anybody, which is a big gift from my higher power. But I know that if I continue on, um, if I go back to my destructive behavior, um, there's no doubt that I'll end up in, um, in some situation like that. And um, I only pray that God keep me sober one day at a time um, because I, I know that although I've stayed sober, my addiction has gotten worse. So um, it's crazy, but I'll still have... Um, initial thought, crazy thoughts, um, like a desire to go out and find somebody to um, violently sexually abuse me, um, kill me, things like that. And I know they're just thoughts, and I give them to God. But if I were to um, entertain them, I know that it, it could only um, go on to manifest itself. So, yeah, um, I'm grateful that God found me a sponsor pretty quickly, uh, really, really quickly, and I was able to do both steps for SA and for codependency with her. 
um, I'm grateful that the rooms were so welcoming that um, I started out with only phone meetings because uh, I couldn't drive yet. And um, I was still living at my parents' house, so it would be very difficult for me to get out and find one. Um, later, I found out that there was one only like a mile from my house on Saturdays, and so that's one that I walk to every week um, when I'm home for the weekend. And I'm just so grateful because there's so much healing in those rooms, um, seeing um, men and um, being able to receive respect and give respect. And it's, it's just such a healing thing for me um, to, you know, because my first real interaction with men, you know, I have, you know, religious figures and other things in my life that before that I'd interacted with and my brother's friends, but it was never like a real one-on-one interaction. And when I went online, you know, I'm talking to all these, um, I'm sure a lot of them were sex addicts and um, uh, people who were depressed and unhealthy and um, lost, there was so much lust on there. So it was not a good way for me to be introduced to um, men. So coming into the rooms, um, I'm learning I'm learning how to heal that relationship, um, and I'm just so grateful because, um, you know, nobody tried to make the, the meetings that I was going to men only or anything like that, so I'm just glad that I was able to get what I needed. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm just grateful for this journey that is only, only going to keep, keep going because as much as I have now, um, I know that it can only expand more from what I've seen from um, other sexaholics. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm so blessed to have all of you and to have um, my new concept of my higher power in my life. And it's not easy and I struggle a lot. I'm about to um, take a trip for 10 days to Israel and I'm really scared. Uh, But I've realized that I can't control my life. So I'm, I'm grateful that I'm able to give it over to higher power. Um, yeah, I guess that's the basic story. Um, there's obviously more, but I think that um, I would love to hear from you. And so I'm going to turn it over, and um, thanks for letting me share. Thank you so much, Rena, for your share. Very much appreciated. And now I'm going to open up uh, the lines for people to be able to unmute themselves by pressing star six. You'll have an opportunity to uh, reflect on our speaker today as well as ask questions. And please keep in mind that this session is being recorded. Um, If you're not comfortable with that, do keep that in mind. Um, Maybe you can ask your question later on. And for now, we'll move on to anyone who has questions. Press star six to be unmuted to ask your question. Hi, this is Danielle in PA. Danielle, go ahead with your question. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to say thank you so much for sharing. Um, I am fairly new to to SA um, and. Uh, my story seems very similar to yours um, as far as like struggles with eating and, um, you know, just, just being a female um, kind of 
hearing hearing another female's perspective. Um, and I just want to say, like, after realizing how old you are, um, like, I'm super proud of you. <laughs> and you should be, like, very proud of yourself. The fact that you have got, have found this, like, this early in your life, and you're taking steps to, you know, to, toward recovery, like, that, you have an amazing opportunity, um, and, and you are an inspiration. So, thank you for sharing your story. Cindy, New Jersey. Thank you, Danielle, for your question. And tell me your name again. Cindy, New Jersey. Cindy. Great. Go ahead, Cindy. Thank you. Thanks for your service, Rena. Thank you very much for that share, Rena Esther. I related in so many ways and uh, traveled many of the same roads many decades before you did. And uh, <laughs> luckily, I'm walking the road to recovery, trudging alongside you now. I agree with the last year. This is a very inspirational uh, moment for me. gives me a lot of hope. And my question is one that's going to maybe require a little bit of imagination on your part. And if it's just too much even think about it, uh, it's okay that you don't answer. But I'm coming from a place of being the parent that wasn't what your, your parents were. I was the controlling one trying to oversee everything and nip things in the bud. Um, but that wasn't possible. I wasn't thinking of it in the moment that I couldn't control things, everything. But my children have taken a lot of steps and seen a lot of stuff and developed a lot of habits at this point that are scary to me and also um, dangerous. My, my youngest attempted to commit suicide in January of 18. So the question is, I guess, what do you think you might have needed from your parents that you didn't get, although you, you already shared that, but with that twist? Say they had overdone things with you. Do you have anything that you think would be good to go forward and repair the relationship with your parents? And thanks again for, for your share today. I pass. Uh, Rena, press star six to speak. Hi, Cindy. Thank you so much for um, your question and for sharing a little bit about your experience. Um, that's a great question. It's hard for me to um, really pinpoint exactly what I might have needed um, because I know that my parents did their best and they gave me what they could because, and it's, it was definitely resentment on my inventory. Um, but I, I've decided that, you know, and God has shown me that they would have given me more structure, um, more healthy boundaries if, if they could have. Um, and just the other day, uh, my dad was, you know, trying to help me download something on my computer and, and, you know, my filter thing came up and blocked a certain site we were trying to access. 
And he was kind of surprised. He was like, oh, you have one of those? Because I had asked him in the past to download a filter for me um, pre and, and post recovery. And um, he was like, no, you don't, you know, you don't really need that, whatever. And he, he just put in like a minor parental control thing. Um, and my mom said to me um, recently that she thinks he, he does struggle with that. I don't know if he watches porn or, um, or he just has a general struggle with the Internet. But um, I think that he, he was a little bit, it seemed like, surprised and maybe a little bit embarrassed because that I went ahead and took initiative to do that for myself. Um, but I think that, that he, they did the best that they could. Um, my mom, the fact that she didn't talk to me about my body, um, well, she just once said, oh, do you know, like, what sex is or whatever? And I just said, yeah, I, like, read the dictionary. But she was just, like, relieved, like, oh, okay. Um, so I think they did the best they could. My mom, my mom has her own issues um, that she needs God's healing from. So, um, but I, I like to think about it so that I can be the best parent possible. But you're right that we can't always um, control what our kids do. So thank you for sharing and, and thank you for your question. It's something good to think about. All right, thank you so much for that answer, Rena. And may I have anyone else wants to ask a question of our speaker today? You need to start six to unmute yourself. I don't have a question. I just would like to share. Yeah, go ahead, Gabriella. Yeah, Gabriella, sexaholic. Um, I, I thank you for your story. I related to some of that, and especially, yeah, I thought about it myself. I uh, started journaling when I was 14, and I had a, a crash when I when I went to secondary school with 10 years or nine or 10 years. I saw a boy and I had an immediate crush without knowing what that was. And I was um, fantasizing about this boy for as long as he was in school, six years and uh, a little bit more longer. And my journal, my book, started off with 14. I was uh, writing about this boy. I was completely in fantasy and sometimes reality was dawning and then I was desperate and very unhappy. And I read this book, a uh, part of this book to my sponsor, I don't know, maybe six, eight, ten months ago, I, I don't know. And it was really heartbreaking and interesting was um, then um, I started drinking, then the my writing changed. It wasn't just one boy, then it was a lot of uh, whatever happened and I quit writing this kind of journaling when I was with 22 I think in the first 12-step group Emotions Anonymous and it was a miracle for me to find that and, and, and then my writing ended pretty much and I found other help and Recently, I was really thinking about it, what made me write down, and it was help, and yeah. And there were, yeah, also with the food, I was, um, um, food was 
important and the loneliness with the food and I just had a thought I mean I don't have children um, myself that's why um, I think it's easier to forgive your parents when you have children yourself but um, I just had a thought I felt um, by my mother I felt controlled and and I felt that the control was arbitrary it didn't have a goal or a good reason but I also felt neglected. It was both. Um, and I think you also shared something. Um, I did things where, where she didn't know what I was doing. I don't know. It's very um, contradictionary. But I did a huge inventory um, a few years ago. And uh, since then, I have more compassion with my mother. And also recently getting closer to my brother, he helped me. I had a difficult uh, move to do, I mean, move from one apartment to another, and he helped me, and he didn't do any uh, reproach or, I don't know, didn't any didn't do any complaint, and that got me closer to him. Yeah, thanks for your story. Thank you. Thanks for sharing, Gabriella. Anyone else would like to share or ask a question of our speaker? And again, this session is being recorded. Hi, this is Phil Sexolic, North Carolina. Phil, go ahead, please. Yes, Phil, thank you. Yeah, thank you so, so much for sharing your story. Uh, very moving to me. And I guess my, my question would be, um, if there's anything in your experience that um, could help people that um, work with young people, um, you know, preteens, teens, religious leaders, teachers, etc. Like, what's what's something that you think um, would have really been helpful to you that might be of help to others at that age? Thank you so much for your question. I think it was Phil. Um, that's a really really important question and I'm trying to think about that in terms of me helping also in the future. I'd like to be a um, sex addiction therapist or some sort of therapist to help people. Um, I think honesty and humility when it comes to adults is so important and I, I didn't receive enough of that. I don't know if it was there and I wasn't I was too full of myself to see it, but for for parents and for teachers and for any other figure, um, a modeling figure to admit mistakes and say when they're wrong. Um, my father struggles, and I, I I pray for him. He has a very hard time saying that he's wrong, and for me that that was just so painful because I didn't have an example of someone who who could say that they're, that, you know, I made a mistake, um, you know, honey, I'm sorry that I, I, I yelled at you like that, you know, I was wrong. Um, and so I, that's something I've had to learn for myself, but it's, it's just, I think as, as, as a teenager, um, and a young adult now, I want to hear, um, people that I can look up to that I know have flaws. And so I don't strive for for perfection all the time, which leaves me a lot of times depleted and angry with myself and other people. So I think just giving, just giving young people 
um, a better understanding of that everyone makes mistakes and um, that we're not perfect, that's, that's really key. So thank you so much because that's something good to think about as well. Thank you, Phil, for your question, and Rena Esther for your answer. Anybody else would like to ask our speaker a question? Star six to unmute yourself. Or anyone would like to share in general? You can start six to unmute. Chris is a sexaholic from Pennsylvania. Yes, go ahead, Chris. I was a, a latecomer to the call, but heard the story enough enough the story that I very much appreciate um, your your uh, um, bravery for sharing it and um, and candor. To the extent, you know, in the extent of your life, as you share your life, um, I think those of us for whom acting out was impersonal, more impersonal in nature, uh, uh, at least in terms of personal lack of human personal encounter. In in that, um, I mean, I, I it's, in, it's impersonal for me, even when it involved people um, that I abstracted the. The quality of their sexuality from them, um, or uh, reduced them to it in in my in in those interactions. Um, personhood was not a, a foremost consideration for me, um, and, but um, this uh, reference the reference to. Um, um, you know, online behavior. It reminds me that uh, you know that there are human beings that uh, that we exploit in the, in that process, um, and uh, um, also in a uh, a related matter when you spoke about the um, manipulation of uh, food and 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 body size and things like that. Uh, that's something that uh, I can testify even uh, men deal with, and, and I don't know if that's, I mean, I, I think the stigma is there for everybody, but I, I know that definitely um, for men it is something that has come to the fore in more recent times. And uh, I had lost a good deal of weight for purposes that I thought, you know, was I, I kind of tried to associate it with lust that in the hopes that by curbing some um, food appetites and uh, becoming more physically active that I could also help control lust. Um, and uh, it, it didn't happen that way. I mean, there might have been some initial <laughs> initial enthusiasm in it, but beyond that, it, it eventually gave way. Uh, as all my attempts to control and enjoy do. Um, but 
it's interesting how that experience of losing a, a lot of weight at once uh, not only threw me mentally into a tailspin regarding food and exercise, um, but also awakened in me the desire to be lusted after. Um, that uh, that fat that the dimension of lust, um, which I think was probably there all along. You know, uh, wishing to have been noticed or that I would have been noticed, um, but. Now in my twisted mind, making myself more uh, likely to be noticed, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, and, and I don't think there was um, a great lack of notice in my formative years. Um, but, uh, um, you know, I, I, I'm, mine is as much a disease of the ego that uh, um, would find any way to to uh, um, engage in a so-called more personal manner with people and uh, even being willing to reduce myself to those physically uh, appealing aspects um, I'm grateful for various means including the program that over the years have are helping me to make uh, food and exercise a, a, a um, a moderation uh, thing and uh, moderation's hard for me, but um, uh, as a way to express gratitude for the gift of my body and uh, um, good stewardship. Uh, so, uh, but again, thank you. And, it, and you know, your share reminded me of these realities with myself. Uh, thanks for letting me share. Thank you so Thanks much. For sharing, I really appreciate that. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, now it is time for our seventh tradition, which states that we have no dues or fees, but we are self-supporting through our own contributions. Please visit essay.org to make a donation or to get more information about essay. If you'd like to donate on behalf of this meeting, please enter noon SA phone MTG in the description line. As a reminder, our Monday meeting is a, speaker, is a speaker's meeting. If you or anyone you know has six months or more of sobriety and you would like to share your experience, strength, and hope with the call, please email us so we can schedule a convenient time for you to address members of this call. We also have past Monday speaker recordings, so if you would like access to those recordings, you can dial in and listen to them or access them through our Google Drive where you can listen or download the recording. Recording, And again, you can email our group for that. Um, one moment. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.